0: It's very peaceful. So with the the snow on the trees and the ground, everything's kind of muted. There's no bugs. Everything's just very peaceful, very serene. And it's just really lovely to kind of kick back in that environment and soak it in.
1: The window for ideal backpacking conditions in Canada varies depending on where you live and how tolerant you are of flying, biting insects, rain, and extreme heat. Then, each fall, tents and backpacks go into the closet until spring, along with any thoughts of voluntarily sleeping outside. But it doesn't have to be that way, as Jenna Nodding teaches hikers during guided winter backpacking trips each year. Jenna is an ACMG-certified mountain guide and the founder and owner of Get Outside Adventures in Canmore, Alberta. She's hiked in the Yukon, across Baffin Island, through the high-altitude passes of the Nepalese Himalayas, and along the full length of the Appalachian Trail, spending more than 500 nights in the backcountry. In this Adventure 101 edition of Catch Me Outside, she'll share some of her best advice on winter backpacking, including how to layer for cold weather, which gear to bring and what to leave at home, how to decode our values, and some of the most common mistakes beginner winter backpackers make. So, without further delay, let's get to it. I I have to know about your credentials um, in order to consider you an expert for this episode. So I need you to tell me, what is the coldest you have ever been?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, there was one trip that I did uh, where when we left the parking lot, it was minus 30. So I have no idea what it got down to overnight. But at the start of the day, it was minus 30. So... oh my god that's that's so nuts the person that dropped me off was uh looked at me and said you know you don't have to do this
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's like the the motto of winter camping like you really you don't have to do it but there's something about it that that makes it worthwhile
0: (laughs) it's a pretty special activity to do like In the summertime, a lot of the campgrounds are full and there's always lots of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the wintertime, there's not very many people out there. And it's understandable as to why. Um, And it's just, it's very peaceful. So with the, the snow on the trees and the ground, everything's kind of muted. There's no bugs. Everything's just very peaceful, very serene. And it's just really lovely to kind of kick back in that environment and soak it in. And then the nice part is you always end up catching up on your on your sleep because you're usually in your tent when it gets dark. And then you don't get out of your tent until it gets daylight and well, in the in Canada in the wintertime, that's almost twelve hours sometimes. It's more than yeah. twelve. hours.
1: Yes. It's it's true though, backpacking <clears throat> you're kind of unless you wanna waste a lot of uh like headlamp battery and firewood, you're kind of at the mercy of the daylight hours, so yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, and the bugs thing I can really relate to because on a backpacking trip in Ontario where where I am, summer 2020, I went to Algonquin Park for the first time in, oh God, like 15 years or 20 years, maybe? First time since I was a kid, and I had these really, really high hopes for it, but it was like mid-July, it was a heat wave, and the mosquitoes were... I can't even come up with an adjective right now to describe like how bad the mosquitoes were. It was a hazard actually. I was like running up and over and down terrain that I shouldn't have been running on and not taking breaks because the mosquitoes were so bad and I kind of <laughs> at that time I swore off July backpacking and I've since sworn off May backpacking and June backpacking. So that leaves me with like shoulder season and winter. So um, jokes aside, can you tell me a bit about the work you do?
0: Yeah. So I'm an ACMG hiking guide with my winter certification. Um, so what that means is I'm certified to take people like yourself into the backcountry Um, and teach them how to do it safely on their own. So I have a company called Get Outside and we offer backpacking and snowshoeing and winter camping uh, throughout the Canadian Rockies, as well as on the West Coast up in the Yukon. And then we also offer one in Nova Scotia as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's actually a ton of fun. I really enjoy it. It's kind of my. It started off as a passion project and has grown into my full time gig. and And we're very grateful that it, that it has.
1: That's incredible. I'm I'm so excited for you. I mean, yeah, just the fact that you were able to kind of like parlay it into, into your full time thing as somebody who loves backpacking and would love to, <laughs> be thinking about it all the time. How did you get into backpacking, but also specifically winter backpacking?
0: Yeah, so funny enough, my first backpacking trip was actually a winter camping trip. Um, so it was February of 2007. I actually snowshoed back into a famous area around here called Lake O'Hara and uh, went winter camping back in there. And it was just absolutely fantastic. It was a lot of work snowshoeing back that far and getting things set up and but it was just phenomenal to have this environment all to ourselves and, and to be able to have that new experience. And it just kind of caught on from there. And sorry, what year was that? That was in 2007. Oh, so nice. a lot of people when they meet me, they're like, Oh, you must have grown up doing all kinds of things in the mountains. And um, it's not the case. Like it wasn't until I finished uh, my undergrad that I really got into taking advantage of the of the of the Rockies and and the outdoors from a backpacking standpoint.
1: That yeah. is so great. And and sorry, who introduced you to it? A friend of yours from
0: Yeah, it was a friend of mine at that time. Yeah. And they just had more experience than I did, so it was a great great opportunity to learn. Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. So I think I think you are um, adequately qualified to <laughs> to advise people on winter backpacking. So I guess something that I would like to know as somebody who wants to get into winter backpacking and so therefore I'm assuming that everybody else wants to know it. Um, what are skills that you might need for winter backpacking that you don't need for backpacking in other seasons?
0: Yeah, great question. W- winter backpacking definitely does come with a different set of risks. Um, there, are, the biggest thing that you need to be aware of is a lot of the trails that would be <clears throat> super easy trails and really lovely views and that type of thing in the summertime might actually have uh, a very large hazard in the winter. And that's just understanding and being able to identify if you're getting into terrain that could be affected by an avalanche. Mm, okay. So that's a lot that's the biggest thing that we spend our time educating people on or is being able to resources where you can find out what trail is safe and things to look for when you're out in that environment to ensure that you can keep yourself safe and keep out of that terrain.
1: Okay. Okay. And (laughs) This just occurred to me. I've never seen this come up anywhere, and I've never thought of this before, but like how small a hill can an avalanche happen on?
0: That's a great question. Um, So what I do recommend is that if anyone is curious about going out into the mountains in the wintertime, is there's amazing courses that are offered by Avalanche Canada. So one of them being an avalanche safety training, so AST1. Okay, and that's the the best resource for people to take and and to get that knowledge base to keep themselves safe. But uh, an avalanche can occur depending on the snowpack and that type of thing. You're looking at anything that has a 25 degree slope and above mm. okay. could potentially have uh, an avalanche on it.
1: Okay, okay, we have 25 degree slopes here in uh, in Ontario, so. And I mean, much of Canada has mountains, uh, even if Ontario doesn't. So that is (laughs) very relevant information.
0: How do you layer for winter backpacking? Oh, that's a great question. A lot of the times we have a lot of guests that come back for, for multiple adventures that we offer. And as they get to know me, they kind of poke fun because when I'm guiding, I basically end up like I have my clothing that I know that works well. And basically all that I do is I take my stuff from the summer and I just add more layers to it. So it always looks like I'm wearing the same thing. But (laughs) the biggest thing is you want to make sure that you layer. So what that means is if you just had one of those items on by themselves, it wouldn't be enough on -hmm. its own. Mm -hmm. But if you can stack the, the clothing items on top of one another, then that's what keeps you warm. And that then allows you to adapt your clothing to the environment that you're in. So when you're hiking and and snowshoeing and you're you let's say you're going up a steeper hill or you have to break trail it's going to take more effort and so your body's going to produce more heat. And the biggest thing with winter camping is you want to make sure that you're not getting to the point where you're sweating like your armpits are getting clammy because then your clothing's going to get wet And then when you stop, it's going to be harder for you to stay warm. So if you can layer by, let's say, for your upper body, you could wear a long sleeve merino shirt. And then you could have uh, a soft-shell jacket, so a thinner jacket. And then you could have a light puffy jacket. And then in your backpack, you have a great big puffy jacket. Mm. It allows you then that when you stop in the evening and you're doing camp chores what have you you can take that extra puffy out and you have those other layers that you can adjust if it's windy or if it's um you're working harder or easier and it just gives you a lot of versatility to work with
1: okay so you start with with a base layer ideally merino uh, if you can if you can do that long sleeves thermal underwear or whatever and then layer on top of that, like a mid layer or a windbreaker or that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, you got it. So it's it's kinda like having Lego pieces, right? So <laughs> you start with that base layer because that's gonna keep that moisture off of your body mm-hmm. and it's gonna dry quick if you did happen to get to the point where you're sweating. And then you add another lighter layer on top of that, and then you would add a small insulative layer on top of that, and then you could have a rain jacket, and then your big puffy. So okay. It's nice. It's a nice little stacking platform.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so obviously merino or or other forms of wool that's in. What's out in terms of materials? What materials should people avoid uh, when they're you know out in in low temperatures?
0: Yeah, so the one of the biggest things that you want to try to avoid is cotton, right? We've all cotton heard the kills. saying that cotton <laughs> kills. Yep, yeah. um, and the reason being is cotton doesn't dry very well so once it gets wet it stays wet the other thing that you want to try to avoid and that's mostly for like a pant layer is you want to avoid like uh like jeans or a heavier material like that ideally you want to stick to something that's going to dry quicker and and have that ability to shed the moisture if you do if you do get that
1: right and yeah okay so what are some tips for managing moisture as you're sweating I guess as your clothes are Are getting damp your feet are you know your socks are getting damp as you're hiking
0: so one thing that i do recommend is i do actually have a youtube video that goes through like what i wear for layering okay um so if if your listeners have the opportunity to like go on our our um our youtube channel and check that out and what's your uh, what's the name of the youtube channel it is get outside adventures perfect i can link it in the show notes too perfect yeah, so managing the moisture, it it comes down to some some little tips. Um, so as you're going along, if you notice that you're starting to get warm, maybe take your toque off. Mm. And I'm Canadian, so I say toque. Um, <laughs> or <laughs> what you can do too is just even unzipping your jacket a little bit just allows that moisture to kind of be able to circulate out. Just have the airflow carry it out. And then another thing is just like managing your, your layers in the sense of like, maybe you just need to stop more often. So Mm -hmm. if it's a minus 30 day and I'm out by myself, I actually stop more often because Mm -hmm. if I'm going up a hill, I am able to move fast enough that I stay warm enough. So I might have to take a layer off. And then once I get up to the top of that hill, if I'm coming down, I'm not going to be generating as much heat. So then I would have to put a layer back on.
1: Wow, so that's like really, really proactive
0: managing of your layers. You got it. If you can nip it in the butt early, that's the best thing to do. And if you can – like if you know how your body responds, like if you're someone that takes two steps and you start to sweat, then you're going to want to start with lighter layers and then adjust based on the wind, based on the environment that you're in. Yeah. And then go from there. But but yeah, just simply taking off a toque or – unzipping a zipper or maybe taking your gloves off um, are a great way to manage things, micromanage.
1: Yeah. And then of course, I'm sure like having, having a dedicated dry, clean pair of socks, just like you do in, in other seasons for when you go to bed, having like dry sleep clothes.
0: You got it. So especially like for once you get to camp, what I highly recommend is pitch your tent and then have clothing that's separate And then that would be what you change into right away. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are wanting to have, if you're in an area where you can have a campfire and you're going to be going around trying to gather Mm -hmm. some wood, then pitch your tent, do your high output activities Get all of those activities done and then change your clothing. And oh. then you'll have those nice dry clothing that will last you through the night.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You don't want to change <clears throat> into your dry camp clothes and then work up a sweat, building a fire and, and all of that. You got it. Um, okay. And then, yeah, I guess if you have a fire, then you can kind of dry out those damp clothes.
0: Well, for drying out clothes, what actually works well, like if they're just damp, um, if you put them in your sleeping bag with you overnight... Mm-hmm then your body heat will actually dry that clothing out. And then also it's much, much nicer for the next morning, right? Because you want to keep your clothes that you are sleeping in as your dry clothes. So the next morning you have to, it's good. It's a good idea to put those hiking clothes back on. So if they were in your sleeping bag overnight, then they're going to be nice and warm and toasty instead of a frozen mess next to you on the tent floor. <laughs> Nobody so, loves a frozen mess on the floor. No, it, it's a little tedious and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not particularly keen on putting on a frozen shirt first thing in the morning. No, no, not at all.
1: What are your thoughts on down sleeping bags for winter backpacking? I mean, like down is very warm like the warmth to weight ratio is great it's like packable like there are lots of really great things about down but I get nervous backpacking with it in cold weather because as soon as it gets wet it like loses its loft so when you winter backpack like do you use down and how do you how do you manage
0: that yeah so it's it's a very common question I am a bit biased in the sense that I will only ever use a down bag um, no matter what environment I'm in. But what changes is how I manage that bag. Mm-hmm. So when you're packing your your sleeping bag, you, what I recommend is you have it in a waterproof or water-resistant compression sack. And then what that's going to do, it's going to keep give it one layer of protection inside your backpack. And then having it in a compression sack just helps keep it smaller and, and more manageable. And um, then what I do is I also have a waterproof liner that lines the entire aspect of the inside of my backpack. So that gives my sleeping bag two layers of protection against moisture. Let's say, uh, I hope this never happens, but let's say like I accidentally fell in a Creek or set my backpack down and it rolled into a Creek or something. It, it gives my gear that extra protection, um, And then as far as managing that moisture, like when you're sleeping, that type of thing, you will notice, like if you do a longer winter trip where it stays below zero, um, you will notice that your sleeping bag is harder to compress. And it actually starts Mm. to gain weight because of that moisture. So all of us do sweat, right? Like as we're sleeping, it's it's inevitable. So having things like a sleeping bag liner really helps um, because what you can do is if it is a super sunny day, and let's say you are you got into camp early, or um, it's warm enough that you took a longer lunch break. Then you can have the, pull that liner out mm. and hang it up so it can dry out, out a little bit. The longer the longest winter trip I've done was uh, a six day five night trip, and I did notice that by the end of that trip, my bag was substantially heavier. And so we had a couple, I think it was like our third day where we didn't have to move as far. So we were able to kind of lounge around. And what we did is we pulled out our sleeping bag, flipped it inside out, and then laid it so that the sun could lay on it. And then that did help to get rid of some of the moisture.
1: Yeah, that's smart. So like take advantage of of the the sun um if you can take like yeah. a long lunch break or something or if you you get to camp early just put it out in the sun and yeah. let it dry out. Yeah, that's smart. Um what are what are your thoughts on treated down? Like dry dry tech down or whatever. Is it a gimmick?
0: Does it do anything? Um yeah. Yeah, I think like down itself is naturally hydrophobic, right? It naturally um sheds water that's why it's effective and that's why you never want to wash a down bag because it will stri- the soaps oh. will actually strip the down of that of that aspect um so i i personally like i i usually buy bags that does have that aspect mm-hmm. just because i do use my sleeping bags a lot like my one sleeping bag had over 500 nights in it So having having something that is going to give it that extra durability is important. Mm -hmm. And then just to go back to your comment about moisture, like the other thing that I try to do when I'm winter camping is I actually try not to have my face down in the bag. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if I have to cinch the hood, like because it is a full mummy bag, if I cinch the hood, I try to leave the hole right above uh, my mouth. Right. So that not as much moisture from my breath is going into the bag. And then usually what will happen is the top of the sleeping bag will actually have a thin layer of ice on it, essentially, of, of yeah. frost. And then I can scrape that off in the morning before I pack the ba- the sleeping bag away.
1: Right, right. Okay. And so you don't wash... A down sleeping bag like I I have I've washed mine before I'm pretty sure I mean I mean I make sure that I dry it very thoroughly but yeah like, what are your
0: how do I maintain it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so that's where the liner comes in so okay. um none of my sleeping bags I've I've uh I've ever washed um but what I do is I I will not sleep in my sleeping bags without a liner Okay. And then that way you can take the liner out. That's what absorbs all of your body oils. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can wash that like whenever you need, like after every yeah. single trip or or what have you. Um, Do you use a silk liner? I actually use a silk cotton blend. Oh, okay. um, yeah. And what I really appreciate is um, I actually buy a rectangle shaped liner rather than a mummy liner. Oh, okay. Because I find like a mummy bag is already restrictive enough. So having the rectangle shaped liner just gives me a little bit more space um, to move around. And then I am a side sleeper. So I actually tuck the liner in between my legs. And I like the the feel of the fabric that is a silk cotton blend. It's not great because it does have cotton. And I know that kind of goes against. But because I'm an individual that doesn't sweat very much when I'm sleeping. I'm able to get away with it, um, and I just like the the sensation a little bit better than the than the pure silk one. And yeah. I sleep warm, so I don't need one of the microfiber um, ones that give you like an extra couple degrees of warmth.
1: That's so ideal. Being a warm sleeper who also doesn't sweat. <laughs> I I'm a warm I'm a warm sleeper too, but like, it's it's not good. I sweat a
0: lot. (laughs) That's okay. I should probably invest in a liner. (laughs) I would highly recommend it. And the liner is great for winter camping as well because it keeps, even though sleeping bags have a draft collar that goes along where the zipper is, there's still going to be some cold spots along there. So having a sleeping bag liner will just minimize those awkward moments of like bumping up against the cold spot and you kind of get jarred. Yeah. Um, so it just gives you a, a, another little extra cocoon to kind of hold that hot air in.
1: Okay, so, so you're you've got to camp, you've done your camp chores, it's getting close to going to bedtime. How do you raise your body temperature before going to bed? Because I mean... A sleeping bag will keep you warm, but it doesn't generate warmth, right? Like you need to kind of generate your own warmth before you get into that sleeping bag. So what are some tips for that?
0: Yeah, great question. A, a sleeping bag works because it's insulation. So it 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 holds that hot air in. So you need to produce hot air in it somehow. Um, so what I actually do is I will go for a little bit of a stroll before I head into bed. Um, So again, nothing that gets my body to the point that it's sweating, but just something that it gets my circulation going. Mm. Um, It helps um, wake my feet up a little bit uh, and that type of thing. If you're someone that just needs a little bit of extra, do jumping jacks, right? And then when you get into your sleeping bag, get all curled down in there, get everything bundled up and then do some really awkward crunches to just like generate some heat inside your sleeping bag right and then that will help keep you a little bit warmer right off the get-go
1: yeah and and what about eating does getting your metabolism
0: going also raise your temperature um one thing that a lot of people don't realize is being hydrated is one of the the bigger Mm. things that affects your your temperature so making sure that a lot of people, in the, especially in the wintertime, they're like, oh, I don't want to drink like after dinner because I don't want to have to get up and pee in the middle of the night. And it's like, you no, know, keep those fluids going into you because it's going to make a big difference. And then if you do end up, there's never been a success story of anyone ever waking up while they're camping. Needing to pee and then being able to fall back to sleep. Yeah. So if you wake up and you have to pee, get up and go pee, and then you'll be back uh, nice and snug as a bug in your sleeping bag right away.
1: It's so hard to do that because I've also heard your body has to expend energy to like warm your bladder basically, and so like when you have a full bladder, you're you're actually wasting energy heating it.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a fluid. It needs to stay warm. Um, and so it's going to take a lot more energy to do that for your body. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly true. Um, so yeah. And then just proteins and fats, um, those are other great things to have before you go to bed. Um, so it takes longer for your body to, um, to turn that into energy and it burns longer. Mm. So it's gonna give us that, that longer term uh, fuel mm. source for our bodies to use rather than a, a simple carb or, or sugar that's gonna be uh, burned off very quickly and not provide that same uh, warmth aspect.
1: That's a really good point, yeah. Okay, so you want something that's going to kind of last through the night while you're, while you're sleeping rather than giving you a big rush of, okay. Yeah, you got it. That makes sense. Okay, so before you go to bed, um, you might want to have a fire because it's 30 below and you're not ready to go to sleep, but it's too cold to be outside, or maybe your sleeping bag is kind of, or well, something is kind of damp. So,
0: what are your tips for building a fire in the winter on snow? Yeah, great question. Um, <clears throat> so, the biggest thing that I do is I actually try to dig down in the snow as much as I can. Um, so depending on how much snow is there, try to, if you, if you can, get down to the ground level. Mm, okay. um, and then what that will do is it will actually produce a natural windbreaker. Because mm. if you dig down into the surrounding snow, will also help protect when you're trying to get the little, the little stuff burning. And then, to be honest, the biggest thing is always have a fire starter. Like There's, there's no harm in that. Um, there's different types of fire starters that you can that you can use and then that will give um, a nice long consistent heat to help dry out um, any of the smaller uh, smaller stuff that you're using to start the fire Um, because things will just have a natural dampness in the winter time yeah so it just allows you a little bit more time a little bit more consistent heat to get that fire going OK, OK. And in terms of like foraging firewood,
1: do you find that difficult with the snow cover on the ground or do you find do you typically find enough like kind of fallen branches on top of the snow that you can burn?
0: Yeah, so you need to be careful because some areas and it might just be more so within the national park system. But um, so some areas don't allow you to to forage. So you have to be careful of, of where you are um, and. <clears throat> But uh, usually you can find enough downfall. So you want something that has been dead for a while, but not rotten, um, that you're going to be able to get. And usually you can find something somewhere for that. Okay.
1: okay. Yeah. yeah, I know here in Ontario, front country campgrounds, like car, car camping, they, they don't allow yep. you to forge wood. But then it's different for backcountry. And then I'm sure with the national parks, it's, it's yeah, I guess you just check, check to see what that park allows. You gotcha. Okay. And so um, how, how would you explain our values <laughs>
0: for people who don't speak that language? Can you demystify that, please? No problem. So an R value is essentially the rating of insulation. Mm-hmm. So when you're usually it's used for thermo or sleeping pads. So an R rating is actually a number of one to ten. And ten is the the best insulation that that item could have for for a thermarest. So when you're winter camping, what you want to try to do is you want to try to pick a sleeping pad that has at least an R value of five. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So trying to get something in that range. Other ways that you could approach it is, um, and this is actually what I do is I use my summer thermarest, which has a lower R value. I think it's I think it's like three or less than three, um, but then I put a closed um, closed foam cell pad underneath that, mm. and then the combination of the two is enough to keep me warm. Right. So you can like you can add up R values. You can kind of stack
1: them. So if you've got something that's like uh, a, a, a CCF pad that's R value two or something, and then Okay, cool. Um, Okay, so this is like kind of getting into the weeds, but if you're trying to figure out whether um, a sleeping bag is going to be warm enough below zero, is the assumption of the manufacturer that like if the sleeping bag has an R value of four, is the assumption that you're also pairing it with a sleeping pad of four? And then if you pair that, um, you know, like R value four sleeping bag with a sleeping pad that's like R value two, should you... Do the math in your head and kind of assume that the sleeping bag is not going to be as warm or as efficient as the manufacturers
0: like advertised. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I haven't seen an R value associated with the sleeping bag. I've only ever mm. seen them associated with a the thermarest.
1: Okay, okay. So yeah. I can't. Actually so actually, I Jenna is correct. Normal- sleeping bags don't have R values. I actually knew this, and I'm not sure why I said they did, but they don't if not the R value, then like, yeah, like the comfort
0: rating or the, or whatever. Yeah. So with a sleeping bag, a sleeping bag will usually have like a comfort rating and an extreme rating. And what I do recommend is go for the comfort rating. Like, um, so even in the summertime here in the Canadian Rockies, I, my summertime sleeping bag is a minus nine. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and the reason being is Even in August, I've woken up with snow and that's because sometimes I'm camping at like 2,000 meters of elevation. So having that extra warmth, it's easier to unzip a sleeping bag than to have a sleeping bag that's not warm enough and you're shivering the whole night. So my summertime sleeping bag that I use in the Canadian Rockies is a minus nine the one that I use on in Ontario or Nova Scotia or, like, the West Coast, like, on the Vancouver Island, mm-hmm. those ones I will use a zero bag in, okay. the, in the peak of summer, so July and August. Yeah. Um, and then in the wintertime, my sleeping bag is actually a minus 30. Whoa, whoa. I mean, yeah, I guess in the Rockies, like, you,
1: you would need that. Um, yeah. And to your point about like using a minus ten in the summer, I've heard that it can it can snow pretty much any time uh, up there. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so I I mean I've heard there's conventional wisdom that you should add ten degrees to to whatever sleeping bag you're using. If you buy like a zero Celsius sleeping bag, you should probably assume that it'll be comfortable at like 10 degrees if you buy a minus 10 assume it'll be comfortable at zero does that make sense
0: yeah so the big thing is you you need to kind of look at yourself and think okay when I'm sleeping at home am I generally a person that has a light comforter on top of me or am I the type of person that has that comforter plus five other blankets to stay warm overnight And then based on that, then I would modify my choice for a sleeping bag. Mm. So if I'm the type of person that needs a comforter plus five, five blankets, then I'm probably going to choose a sleeping bag that's rated for a temperature much, much colder Than the environment I know that I'm going to be in. Mm, Okay. And then that gives you that extra cushion. So that's one of the reasons why I use a minus nine bag, even in the summertime is because I want that extra cushion. And I know that if I don't get a good night's sleep because I'm cold, then it's harder for me to enjoy the next day. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm
1: learning that I've been using a this is now i'm talking about a sleeping pad but i've been using a closed cell foam sleeping pad for the last couple summers and uh it's it's quite compressed now and and i've noticed that i'm like really envious of people that i see on inflatable pads because i haven't had one in a few years so i just bought i just bought myself an inflatable pad so that i can sleep well and like not be tired and grumpy when i and jealous when i wake up <laughs> thanks um Okay, what are your thoughts on single-walled tents for winter camping?
0: Yeah, so I, I think everything is modifiable, right? Okay. And there are ways that you can deal with different situations. So if you're going to use a single-walled tent, the, the reason why some people say it's not as great for the winter is because you just you can end up with more... Uh, condensation inside the the tent and then essentially you turn the tent into a snow globe yeah uh, because (laughs) the condensation freezes on the inside of the tent and then if you bump the side of the the wall of the tent then that condensation showers down on top of you it snows on your face it snows yeah (laughs) Yeah. but what you can do to help manage that is you just need to ensure that your tent has more ventilation Mm. so if you can leave um like a a mesh pocket open or uh, the door slightly open on either end or something that's going to allow a little bit of a cross breeze. um, Then that moisture will get carried out of the tent easier than having everything zipped up solid. So if I was using a single wall tent, I would ensure that I have some way to have the airflow go through it and it's going to make the tent a little bit cooler on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to help manage that that condensation side of things.
1: Okay, so yeah, either way, you're 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 trading something when you use a single-walled tent. Like, I'm sure it's yeah, it's not going to keep you quite as warm as as a double-walled tent will. Um, yeah, it's not going to keep the heat in. <laughs> but okay, okay, well that's cool. It's good to know that it's manageable. What are some things that you want to avoid freezing? Like things that you might want to. Really take care of overnight. Bring into your sleeping bag. Um, not not want to freeze. I mean, I guess water your water sleep. Op- what are some tricks for keeping your water from freezing?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the the funnest tricks is if you tip your water bottle and you store it overnight upside down, mm. then the next morning when you flip it around the bottom or what was the top because it was flipped upside down will be frozen, but the lid will still, you'll still be able to open it. So that's a great trick for your water. Um, The other great thing too for winter camping is if you're using um, a water bottle that you can trust and you know, it's going to stay (laughs) sealed, um, then you can actually use your water bottle as a hot water bottle. So you can put boiling water into it when you go to bed. And then tuck that down into your sleeping bag Mm. and the foot of your sleeping bag prior to to crawling in there yourself. And then you get in and it's nice and toasty and warm. Mm. Um, And then the next morning, your water will be a little bit warmer um, and it won't be frozen for you. So you'll have water ready. Okay. What else should Um, you be bringing into your sleeping bag at night? Yeah. So the things that I bring in is I'll bring in the clothing that I want to wear the next day. So if I'm trying to dry out my socks and just get rid of that little bit of dampness and my base layers, that will all go into the sleeping bag with me. Um, and it actually helps fill up that extra space that's in the footbox mm. of the sleeping bag sometimes, too. So it can actually help keep you a little bit warmer. I'll leave like my my uh, my hard shell gear so my my Gore-Tex pants that's what I wear on the outside I'll actually tuck those in underneath my sleeping pad oh um, okay just to give another little bit of barrier Mm -hmm. because those items they're not really going to absorb the the moisture and that type of thing so they they can be left out but then other things that I bring in my in my uh sleeping bag with me is I bring any of my communication devices so Mm -hmm. I carry um an emergency communication device, as well as a radio. Those get tucked into my sleeping bag. Um, And I also use a gravity water filter Mm. and I don't use them as much in the winter time, but even in the summer, if I think the temperatures are going to drop below freezing, then I try to blow out as much water as I can and I put it in a Ziploc. And then that goes in my sleeping bag with me. Um, And then I wear contacts. So my, my contact case comes in, it, A lot of sleeping bags will have like a little tiny pocket um, close to the top of them. So my contacts will get, case will get put in there. Yeah. I imagine you don't want those to freeze. No, no, that's not exactly (laughs) comfortable going in the eyeball. It's not soothing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, And those are the main things that I, that I bring in with me. The water filter one is, is one that a lot of people don't think about. Um, But if you're in those temperatures where it might potentially drop to like minus two or three, then that's something that you definitely need to be keeping warmer overnight.
1: Right. And that's because I guess like water that is trapped in the filter when it freezes, if, if it freezes can expand and, and kind of rupture
0: the little filtering. Uh, you got it. And there's no way that nice. you will know <laughs> that until you filter water and then potentially 10 days later you get sick.
1: Mm, so giardia
0: <laughs> yes
1: yeah and I, I guess that's a thing too um with filters like you you if you drop a filter uh from you know a substantial height or whatever you probably want to replace it because you might have broken those little hollow filtered tubes <laughs> whatever they're called <laughs>
0: yeah yeah okay. the filter itself can can accidentally crack so that's why a lot of like the gravity filters that type of thing they they come almost with like bumpers built onto them mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that if they do get accidentally dropped or bumped around that it absorbs the forces.
1: Okay, so yeah, at night you want to bring your filter, your electronics um, because the cold will kill the batteries and then if you have a water bottle that you trust not to leak, bring that in as well. And and your your clothes that like you want to be warm and dry. Yeah okay. I also noticed uh, so I went I did a little I went on a little backpacking trip in November and I used fuel. and Mm -hmm. one of the first mornings, well, it was like, it was a couple mornings in, it was far enough in that when my, my fuel wasn't boiling my water, I thought that I had used it up and miscalculated like how much fuel I should have. Mm -hmm. But then overnight, I decided to put it in my sleeping bag with me. And the next morning it, seem to work better. So are there considerations um, for fuel? Like, should you be using a certain type of fuel for winter backpacking? Does it help to keep that in your sleeping bag as well or keep it warm?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the isobutane is a compressed gas. So when that gets cold, as you can envision, like anything that's compressed, when it gets cold, it's not going to function as well. Mm. Um, So I tend not to use those type of fuels in the winter. I really like the white gas; it's a Mm. liquid gas. And with those, you actually control the pressurization within the canister itself by pumping, by pumping the pressure into the into the canister. So there are some tricks though with the isobutane. One of them is if you have, uh, an isobutane stove that has a separate fuel line, then you can flip the fuel canister upside down oh. and that will help. And then the other great trick is if you have, um, like, let's say it's your, your bowl that you're going to use for your oatmeal in the morning or something. Um, if you put some water in that and then set the isobutane canister into the bowl with the water assuming it's going to be stable yeah if water is liquid then it's above zero and so it will help keep that canister warm enough that the fuel actually functions better
1: oh that's so clever I've never thought of that oh man yeah another reason to throw I mean I know that you can kind of like estimate how much fuel is in the canister by putting it in water but now I have now I have another reason to put my fuel canister in a bowl of water.
0: Yeah. Um, and it doesn't need to be much. And what I've used in the past is, I think it's Seed to Summit that makes them, they're the collapsible bowls. It has yeah. a hard, has a hard bottom. And then, so you can, it's just like an accordion and you can pop it up, just put a little tiny bit of water, put the, the fuel canister in there. And then that's all you really need. Okay. Okay. That's such a good tip.
1: What are some mistakes that you you see a lot of beginner uh, winter campers making?
0: Oh, man, we all make mistakes. Yeah. And the first time you go winter camping, you're going to make so many. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably the biggest one is a lot of people are intimidated by the cold, right? So they, they actually put too many layers on. Mm. So the way that our clothing works is it it keeps us warm because it creates an air pocket around us and then our body heats up that air pocket and the clothing holds that heat in so if you have too many layers of clothing on the air pockets get compressed and it's not able to to hold that hot air anymore and so if you are cold at night, if you put on every single layer that you have and then crawl into your sleeping bag, you're actually probably going to have a colder night of sleep mm. than if you had just worn a base layer and a toque and then crawled into your sleeping bag. So that's probably probably the primary one that I see. That makes a
1: lot of sense because you get that with, with footwear too. You know, like if you try to wear two pairs of socks in a boot that doesn't have enough room, I, I find that like it doesn't really help at all. If anything, it makes, it makes things worse.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And you can do the same thing when you put your snowshoes on. If you, if you put, pull the strap that goes around your toe box too tight, it's going to compress your circulation. Mm -hmm. It's going to compress the airspace within your boot. And then your toes are going to get cold. Okay. So just,
1: yeah, not piling on so many layers that, that everything is like, tightly compressing and there's no there's no air like air pockets or whatever that's you got it
0: yeah so my my layers my big insulative layers that I wear in the in the winter time are actually way too big for me like Mm. my my puffy jacket that I wear winter camping is actually a men's medium and I wear a women's small clothing so having something that is much larger, that's going to hold that air and can also then stack on top of your other layers is really important. So wearing like a lot of female clothing tends to have a very trim cut and a very fitted cut. So sometimes staying away from those type of things is better for winter camping. Um, then yeah than going with that
1: yeah yeah I mean I guess beyond having like a a thermal layer that's going to be like moisture wicking or whatever you don't really need anything else to fit close to your skin in the winter you got it yeah okay that's yeah I, I get that um what's in your kit I guess or like what do you pack when you go out for like a winter backpacking trip
0: that's that's a loaded question. Um. So what I have is I actually my system's pretty much the same whenever I go, and I kind of mentioned that earlier. So for clothing, for what I I do is I actually wear like I change my my base layer depending on how cold it is. So I have a really heavy base layer if it's minus thirty, and if it's only zero, then I have a lighter one, and then I wear my Gore-Tex pants on top of that. Um, and then. Uh, For my upper body, I always have a long sleeve merino shirt and then I'll have a soft shell jacket and then I have a light puffy jacket and then I'll have my rain jacket and a big puffy jacket in my backpack. Mm. And then the thing that I always like to do too is I will wear a liner mitt Mm. or sorry, a liner glove that goes inside a big heavy mitt. And then that way, if I need to have some more dexterity to adjust a snowshoe or trying to do up a zipper or something along those lines, when I take my mitt off, I still have a protective layer from those liner gloves. Yeah, that's smart. And that one's really key. And then for my gear wise, um, if I'm going on a solo trip, I actually use a, a summer tent. I actually use my, my MSR hubba. Um, if I'm going on a solo winter camping trip and I just have to be careful with where I pitch it. Mm. Um, so, cause they, those type of tents don't tolerate a snow load. So mm. I need to make sure that it's going to be somewhat protected from, from snowfall. Um, and that in combination with my sleeping bag, uh, it, it keeps me nice and warm. And then for my sleeping pad, I actually have, um, I've had the same sleeping pad since 2013 nice. and it's, it's done the Appalachian Trail with me. It's gone up north with me to Baffin Island. It's it's done everything. Um, and it's actually the the Neo Air. So it's not a great winter one. But then I bring um, just a cheap piece of that blue uh, closed cell foam that I put underneath me. And then that paired with my Gore-Tex keeps me warm. And then it's also nice having the the closed cell foam because if you're sitting outside around a campfire or something, you have something that you can sit on and then you don't yeah. mind if a spark lands on it. Yeah. You don't have to worry about it puncturing or whatever. Exactly. Okay. And then my sleeping bag is actually uh, sleeping bag is probably for me is what I always spend a lot of money on in the sense of getting a very good, high quality sleeping bag. Um, because I do want to make sure that I stay warm overnight and, and I'm comfortable. And so my my sleeping bag is a, a Western Mountaineering um, minus, minus 30 bag. And so it's a, it's a really nice down bag. It has the gore coating on the outside mm-hmm. of it um, to help with some of that moisture that we were talking about earlier. Um, and it's just like, it feels like I'm crawling into a Cadillac. Like it's just so <laughs> comfortable and just, I just love curling up in it. And those are my primary things. And um, I always feel like I'm crawling into home whenever I get into my tent. It just is nice and snug and um it's kind of my happy place. I can one hundred percent relate to that. Yeah. I love
1: my tent. I love crawling into it. Yeah, it's that's that's amazing. Um and sorry, did did I hear you say you hiked the Appalachian Trail? I did.
0: Yeah. That's it so was cool. quite a while ago, but okay. uh I did it back in 2013, actually.
1: That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Belated congratulations. That's that's really, <laughs> really cool. So I guess some of these cold weather manage, management skills probably came in handy because you start so early, right? And it's like still pretty
0: cold. It would definitely, like the year that I did it, there was definitely a couple of mornings where you get up in the morning and your shoes are still frozen. <sighs> And when I did the Appalachian Trail, I actually hiked it in in trail runners. It's not what I would recommend for 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 backpacking out here, but it worked for me. Um, And uh, so there was a couple of mornings where you kind of have to walk around in your shoes like they're high heels until they defrost enough that you can get your feet in them.
1: A couple little like leftover questions that that are occurring to me normally, um, you know, when you're looking for somewhere to pitch your tent, I guess the rule of thumb is like look up, look down, look for hazards on the ground like, I don't know, like fire ants or something, (laughs) scorpions, I don't know. (laughs) Look up, (laughs) make sure there are no big dead branches that are going to fall on you. Um, What are some considerations for pitching your tent in the winter?
0: yeah, so for pitching your tent in the winter, what so there's a couple of different things that you need to to be aware of. One, just like you said, you want to look up. so um, you want to make sure that you're not pitching your tent underneath uh, a tree that's heavily loaded with snow because mm-hmm. if the if the wind picks up, you don't want those they're called snow bombs. We don't want these clumps of snow p- falling down on top of you. Um, and the same idea like if you're if you have, um big branches or a tree that looks unhealthy you don't want to um you don't want to pitch your tent underneath that and then have a snowstorm come and the weight of the snow actually breaks those branches or it it leans a popular tree over or something Mm. along those lines that would be less than pleasant but the cool thing about winter camping is If you think about it, like if you were walking around on snowshoes, but then you take those snowshoes off, your feet are going to sink in the snow, right? Mm. So to combat doing that in your tent, what you want to do is you want to take your snowshoes and you want to pack that snow down Mm. and you want to make that uh, pack down area bigger than the footprint of your tent. And then let it sit for a couple hours. So you can do that when you first get to camp set your um set your bag down in a safe location and then go grab some some firewood come back and then you could probably potentially um set your tent up because the snow will harden and then that way in the evening when you crawl into your tent and you don't have you're like you're on your knees you're not going to push the snow down and then rip the bottom of your tent
1: Oh smart. Okay, so don't don't pitch your tent right away. Pat that snow down, let it harden and and set, I guess, like concrete or something. And yeah. then, yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, smart. Okay. Okay. My instinct is always just to to get my tent up because it's I don't know, kind of a chore and yeah. it feels it feels like I'm I'm ready once I've got my tent up. But that's that's good to uh to remember. Um, okay. And then when you When you camp in the winter, do you find that you have so much extra gear that, like, do you pull a sled or anything like that? Or does it all just fit in your backpack?
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of lucky in that way in that I've um, invested in a lot of, like, compressible gear Mm -hmm. so in the summertime if I'm backpacking I can actually get away with like a 45 liter backpack oh wow But then yeah but then in the 45 50 liter but Mm -hmm. then in this in the winter time I actually use a 72 liter backpack okay so everything like your sleeping bag everything just has more volume to it so having a backpack that is larger is just going to allow you to keep everything in and then making sure that you have a backpack that everything can fit inside is is key because um, you you want to try to avoid having things dangling off your pack because it's going to throw your weight off too yeah. so if you're walking on snowshoes or something you want you want your center of gravity nice and solid right um, so having everything inside your backpack is going to give you more stability and it's also going to prevent anything from getting catched on trees and ripped, and it's just going to help give your gear a lot more longevity.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's a that's a really valuable piece of advice any time of year. Just like not having, I don't know. It's I. It seems like for some people, it's almost like a a badge of honor or something having a lot of stuff hanging from their bags. But I definitely get that. Like you want to keep everything inside, tighten the compression straps, keep it as close to your body as possible. You it. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And usually when you go winter backpacking, you use snowshoes. I do. Yeah,
0: yeah. I do some like within, like when I'm guiding, I'm always on snowshoes for a personal trip. I might actually go on skis. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of people aren't as keen on snowshoes, but I think they're a mm-hmm. lot of fun actually. Yeah. They can be really quite playful on them
1: yeah oh that's that's cool and and I guess you're typically going to places where like you can break trail or because I find like (sighs) I have snowshoes and I always want to use them and I, I take them places when I go for day hikes and then I get to the trail and it's so trodden and packed down I there's no point even using the snowshoes it's really sad and kind of pathetic but um, (laughs) I'm standing there with my snowshoes that I can't use but yeah do you find that you're often just like you walking over like fresh fresh powder or whatever
0: yeah so usually a lot of times to access some of the areas that that we backpack and we do because we teach uh, a women's intro to winter camping and so the area that we go, we'll start off on a well-trodden trail and, the, and then we'll actually go off of that into oh. an area where we need the snowshoes. So when we start, we just have our snowshoes strapped to the side of our bag. Okay. And then once we get to the area where we're actually in the fluffy stuff, um, mm. we stop and put our snowshoes on then.
1: Well, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing all of your wisdom. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that we haven't covered?
0: You know, I think the biggest thing is just get out there and try it, right? Find a friend that, that has um, maybe gone out once or twice before, or a friend that's just willing to be curious with you and, um, ask around and, and, and figure out what you need and just go give it a whirl. And, the biggest thing is when you're first starting out and trying like don't don't have it in your mind that you need to go back very far like hmm. maybe choose an area that you're only five kilometers from the trailhead and then that way if the night isn't going very well it's very easy to pack up and just head back out yeah so go out for the winter experience not necessarily the physical push and then just increase your confidence from there that's really great advice, and I actually might try that this weekend. So, yes. well, please let
1: me know how it goes. I would love to hear it. I will. I will. I'm I'm a bit of a weenie, and it's it's going to be like minus 11 before the wind chill, and I'm sure to you that sounds very mild, but I I might not do it.
0: Uh, we'll it's see. a it's a great starting point. Yeah,
1: yeah. And what again is what's the URL for your company?
0: Yeah, so you can find all of our information on getoutsideadventures with an s.ca. Okay. We have uh, a stories section and in there there's all kinds of advice of like how to snowshoeing t- trips, sorry, snowshoeing tips, ways to pack your backpack. There's links to videos for like how to layer for winter hiking. There's a video for what to bring for winter camping. Um there's all kinds of resources there for you to check out. Okay,
1: I will link to that in the show notes and on uh, on Instagram as well. Um, Lovely, yeah. And I'll probably also use those resources before I go out for my first winter backpacking trip.
0: <laughs> yeah, and if any of the listeners have questions, feel free to reach out. Our email is on our website as well, and that's why I guide—is I love teaching people and and passing on some skills. Um, so always happy to to answer any questions. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for
1: for joining me today. and, um, And I hope you have a great
0: day. Thanks. I feel honored that you had me. Thank you.
1: Listeners, if you liked what you heard today, remember to rate, review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Catch Me Outside podcast on Instagram for photos of the show's guests on their adventures.